If you're interested in what China's doing in Africa and the Global South, you're going to want to subscribe to the China Africa Project. We've indexed every major news story going back years, and it's easily searchable by country, topic, or keyword. Plus, we're the only source for daily analysis on all of the big stories related to Chinese engagement in Africa and throughout the developing world. With a subscription, you'll enjoy full access to the site. Plus, you'll get our popular daily email newsletter that comes out every morning at 6 a.m. Washington time. Subscriptions start at just $7 a month for students and teachers and $15 a month for everyone else. To sign up, just go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. Once again, that's ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. The China in Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Wits University in Johannesburg. The ACRP aims to improve the quality of reporting on Africa-China relations through reporting grants, workshops, and other opportunities for journalists. More information at africachinareporting.co.za and our dedicated training website at africachinatraining.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast, a proud member of the Seneca Network from SubChina. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, you and I are both coming today from countries that are under renewed lockdowns uh, for COVID-19. The pandemic, while it is receding in the United States and in parts of Europe, is very much a reality for those of us in the Global South. Here in Vietnam, they've discovered a new variant, which is a UK-India mix. It's a hybrid variant. Uh, it's spreading very quickly. Uh, we are all locked in our homes. Kobus, I understand you in South Africa are under similar uh, lockdown conditions as well. Even though you have vaccines now that are making their way through the society. But for now, if I understand correctly, you're under lockdown orders as well. Yes, it's one of those situations where there's both a vaccine rollout rollout and a new wave of COVID at the same time. So um, so we're on lo- in lockdown even as they're vaccinating. Well, at least you have some hope. Here in Vietnam, we don't have any hope of a vaccine coming anytime soon. So this is a country that is making its own vaccines, by the way, but it is not taking any Chinese vaccines. It is in negotiations with the likes of Pfizer to bring in uh, those vaccines, but we have no prospect of any vaccines. And I think this kind of paints the picture that many countries face in the global south, and it really highlights the dilemma that countries are facing in terms of where they actually source their vaccines. So this week, the Bangladeshi government approved the purchase of a 15 million dose contract of Sinopharm COVID-19 vaccines. Now they're buying those at $10 a shot. The total contract is worth $150 million. That is double the price of what they would have paid through the global vaccine alliance known as COVAX. Uh, Senegal uh, earlier this year made a similar deal. They paid $19 a shot for Sinopharm vaccines, and in Hungary, it was $37 a dose. Now, a lot of people are wondering, why would these countries pay two, three, four, five times as much for a Chinese vaccine than they would for a COVAX vaccine? The COVAX vaccines come in somewhere between 3 and $5 for the world's poorest countries. They can range up a little bit higher than that for others. But simply, at the end of the day, there are no COVAX vaccines, The program is more or less a bust now, even though they've raised more than $6 billion, they've only shipped 72 million shots so far. Now that is, consider that that is a two shot per person dose 
So when we talk about 72 million people, only 36 million people have been inoculated. And that is far short of the 238 million doses that they had targeted by the end of May, right now. So they are far below, and that's 4% of the total 1.7 billion vaccines that have been shipped worldwide. Why is COVAX a bust? Simply because of India. They had counted that India was going to be the main manufacturing center for vaccines. The Serum Institute of India was going to be the engine that powered COVAX deliveries, and all of that money coming from the United States and Europe was going to be funneled to India to basically manufacture that and then subsidizing purchases in the global south. That model has broken down, and there was just an email sent out by Dr. Seth Berkeley, who is CEO of the Gavi Alliance that runs the COVAX vaccine distribution program, and here's how he started it, Cobus. We regret to inform you, and there is no letter in the history of humanity that ends well when it starts with, we regret to inform you. Given the heightened COVID-19 crisis in India, COVAX no longer expects deliveries to resume in May. That was the expectation. Now they're talking about late summer. That will probably be towards the end of the year, if by then, simply because of the inferno that's happening in India right now. Very similar situation to what's starting to burgeon here in Southeast Asia. Uh, other points that we want to address very quickly, uh, Trinidad and Tobago is starting to receive their Chinese vaccines from Sinopharm, but very interesting revelation from Finance Minister Colm Ebert, who said that $25 million out of a $204 million loan to Trinidad and Tobago by the Chinese government is being used to acquire vaccines from the Chinese. That is a very interesting development, and it shows how the Chinese are leveraging their prowess in development finance to also subsidize the shipments of vaccines. And Cobus, this is not the narrative that the United States and Europe had predicted. They had predicted back in February that with the Biden administration coming into power, that the Chinese vaccines and all the questions that surrounded the Chinese vaccines as it relates to efficacy, as the shady deals, the lack of transparency, would fade away as COVAX distributions ramped up. I remember back in February, Politico's Ryan Heath, who writes the Global Translations newsletter, he had a headline, China winning vaccine diplomacy battle but we'll lose the war. And at this time right now, Ryan, he expected that by May and June that COVAX vaccines would overwhelm the Chinese. That is not the case. The Chinese vaccines now are gaining popularity simply because countries like Bangladesh have no other choice if they want to secure vaccines. And it really is a question, as you've talked about with Huawei and so many other engagements with China. It is not a question of whether or not we go with a Chinese vaccine or a Chinese telecommunication networking equipment or a European one or an American one. In this case, it's either Chinese vaccines or in some cases, Russian vaccines or nothing. Yeah, you know, kind of it's a, the, the, it's it's still a, a little bit of a mystery to me why our discussion about about this kind of global rollout and um, of our vaccines so is, is so centered on on these kind of developing country giants like India and China and Russia um, and and where particularly the the kind of mass manufacturing that's supposed to be happening in the US and Europe fits in you know because of course you the US and Europe is they're they're moving ahead quite quickly Quickly, and there's there's all of these different kind of complicated discussions about about the intellectual property issues, about whether it's better to man, to mass manufacture or to export excess vaccines. There's, all of this discussion is going on, but but it's it's difficult for me 
to exactly understand why there isn't just more manufacturing coming out of the the global north, um, and and why the global north still isn't taking a kind of a leadership position in in, dis in disseminating vaccines. You know, it's, it's one of that that's a kind of that kind of political question is remains quite opaque to me. I don't understand that either. I'm glad you brought up the manufacturing part of all this. Uh, let's go very quickly through the list of countries right now that have signed Chinese manufacturing deals for vaccines. Mexico, Brazil, Turkey, Egypt, Kyrgyzstan, the United Arab Emirates, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Pakistan. We have not seen anywhere near the volume of deals being done for Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and others to localize production in the global south to make it easier to distribute and to scale up quickly. So again, to your question, uh, that is very, very interesting. Let's go to some of the latest numbers now in terms of Chinese vaccines and where they are going, how many have been uh, sold and distributed. The most authoritative accounting of Chinese vaccine distributions around the world is done by a consulting firm by the name of Bridge Consulting, which is based in Beijing. They do something called the Vaccine Tracking Report or the Vaccine Tracker that comes out every Monday at around 2 p.m. China time. I'll have links to that in the show notes if you would like to follow that. It's one of the things that I update in our newsletter uh, every Tuesday as well. And here's the latest data as we see from Bridge. The total number of vaccines that the Chinese have committed to sell around the world, 732 million doses. So that is, they have promised to sell. They have not made all those, but that's future doses as well that will be delivered. 256 million to date have actually been delivered. Combination of both purchases and donations. And out of the 256 million, only 22 million have been donated. So about 10% of the actual deliveries are donations of vaccines. So I think it's very important because a lot of Chinese people actually think that they are donating far more than they actually are. And I think a lot of non-Chinese think that the donations are also much larger. So there's a big misperception out there in terms of how many vaccine doses are being donated versus is being sold. Where are the vaccines going? Here in Asia is by far the dominant place. Asia Pacific gets 113 million doses. This is, again, of the total of 256 million. So out of 256 million, almost half went here in Asia. Latin America is second with 68 million. Europe is third with 30 million. And then we will have Africa coming in last at 19.4 million doses. Now, although Africa is last in terms of the quantity of donations, they are first in terms of the number of countries that have received Chinese vaccine sales and donations. Somewhere around 30 or 31 countries to date have gotten Chinese vaccines in Africa. The top three recipients on the continent are Morocco, Egypt, and Zimbabwe. So that's the situation where we have it today. We're really thrilled to have back on the show. We wanted to get an update from Bridge. Zhou Zixiang, who is a policy and advocacy associate at Bridge in Beijing, he helps lead the vaccine tracker project that is now widely quoted by major international media outlets and a great resource. Thank you so much for taking the time on this busy Monday to join us. Zixiang, we really appreciate it. Yes, thank you, Eric, and thank you, Kovitz, for having me. The headlines coming out of China over the past two or three months have been that China is really ramping up its domestic vaccine distribution, and that slowed some of the global vaccine sales. While domestically there's this push, you're now north of 600 million vaccines delivered in China domestically. At the same time, since the last time you and I spoke, China has received, or at least Sinopharm has received, the blessing of the World Health Organization 
And recently, also, the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, uh, issued their own findings on Sinopharm as well. Go ahead and give us an update as you see it from putting together the tracking report. Where are we today with regards to Chinese vaccine distributions and the momentum in terms of balancing domestic need versus international distributions? I think that's a great question. I think you already briefly discussed the overall patterns of Chinese vaccine uh delivery around the world. So I wouldn't repeat that. So in terms of, uh, term of domestic-wise, I mean, all the Chinese vaccine delivered so far are some, in some way made in China. So there, you mentioned there are some overseas manufacturers that manufacture Chinese vaccine. But as far as we know, all of them still use active ingredient or bulk vaccine that shipped originally from China. So all the things all go back to China. So with first thing I would point, like to point out is that overall, over the past six months or so, or even longer, the Chinese has been ramping up their production uh, capacity all around China. We're not just talking about one or two existing, pre-existing uh, production facility. We're seeing new building being built. We're seeing new facility being tested. We're seeing new production line going online, like all across China in different parts, and they are supporting the distribution of vaccines in China. And we're also seeing at the same time, a lot of these vaccines, either active ingredients, vaccine bulk, or finished doses are being loaded on planes and sent all around the world, sometimes in Chinese planes, sometimes in planes rented from an, uh, a local country, sometimes even by the local military, they send their military uh, uh, transport because we want to deliver sooner. So we're seeing a very, very uh, growing pa- a growing frequency and volume of uh, Chinese vaccine being sent from Chinese production facility to not just the Chinese people, but all around the world. So just to just to you know make sure that I understand it is is it the situation that that most of the this kind of mass production of Chinese vaccines is happening within China, um, and then you know kind of they're, they're license, licensing out in to, to to different other countries. But is is China facing a similar kind of cons- like you know kind of bottleneck in in production due to the crisis in India at all as as Western manufacturers are or, or or did Chinese manufacturers kind of bypass Indian production as completely? So that's a very interesting question. So as far as we observe, um, they, they have not been seen to be hit by the uh, uh, the uh, by the uh, by the export uh, halt that is resulted by the crisis in India. So that I'm, we have not seen that. Uh, I think the Chinese, for example, actually also export the active ingredient for AstraZeneca vaccine to some countries. So they actually have a Chinese, has a, along with India, are, I believe, the two of the largest uh, maker of active ingredient for just generally all pharmaceutical products. So they can, like you said, uh, uh, support their own production with all the ingredients they can produce on their own. As a matter of fact, uh, Sinopharm, they just, uh, I believe, unveiled the, the building that's supposed to house the largest, the world's largest uh, COVID-19 vaccine production facility that's supposed to be produced billions of doses of COVID-19 vaccine per year. So they are they are they seem to be expanding their production uh, capacity. I'm sure there are a lot of the difficulties involved in building a production line this complicated, this fast. But I'm we are now really seeing this kind of bottleneck just completely stop the operation because of certain they need to they need to get certain things from abroad, like from India or other country. We have not observed anything like that. And Kobus, you can't overlook the politics between India and China. It would not be politically feasible for India 
to export to China and for the Chinese to take those imports. And at the same time, there's been a lot of sensitivities in India from taking Chinese vaccines as well. So the politics do get in the way of that. That being said, the Chinese have been delivering quite a bit of aid and relief in terms of oxygen and other supplies right now, but I'm not quite sure if it's in the vaccine realm. So, we'll, But India-China has politics written all over it. Zixiang, let's talk about efficacy because that is the key issue that a lot of people outside of China focus on for uh, the Sinopharm and Sinovac jabs in particular. Now, Sinovac is not one that has been approved by the World Health Organization, but the Sinopharm has, and the same findings came out of the JAMA report as well. And what they say is that they are lower efficacy rates than, say, Pfizer or Moderna, but they are nearly 100% in terms of keeping people out of the hospital and from dying. That has been a consistent thing that we continue to hear. That being said, we are also hearing reports that in the United Arab Emirates and in Brazil and in uh, the Seychelles, places that have all depended heavily on Sinopharm, that health authorities there are calling for people who've received their two injections already to come back for a third booster shot because they are concerned that the durability of the vaccine and the efficacy is not holding up. What is the discussion in China as it relates to the question of efficacy of the Sinopharm jabs? I think that's also a very good question. But first, I would like to point out, uh, as I, I believe the WHO and various very uh, various authoritative house institutions pointed out that it's not really fair to compare efficacy between vaccines because they all have different criteria. So it's very hard to say one vaccine is better than the other. But in this case, I, we do have seen a lot of conversation around, you know, whether Sinopharm or other Chinese vaccine or other vaccine, as a matter of fact, produced by other uh, uh, pharmaceutical company developers around the world need a third booster shot. So inside China, I think there has been a lot of uh, discussion now how, like, the duration of the uh, durations of the protection against COVID and different virus, how long will last? And there has been already been talks about whether we, uh, whether Chinese uh, house re- regulator would recommend mixing different type of vaccine or giving booster shot, but. As you see, this is a really unfolding situation, right? The only, the best way to test is how long the production lasts. You see how long it will last, and we are in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of a pandemic, not after it. So it's only been a quite. If we really think about it, we detect this virus only about a year ago, and we are there have already been people who get vaccinated for months or even six months. So it's actually a, everything just moves so fast. So I think we really need to wait until the scientists have more time, and I believe that's the, where the current conversation is in China as well, to let scientists just figure out how long this production, the vaccine, different type of vaccine can give, can last, then decide what's the best approach going forward. But I think one way or another, I think, uh, obviously, giving people vaccine will not be the only solution to end the pandemic. I believe every health official, all the way from WHO to local health authority, have repeated that message. And I believe that's a message the Chinese government is repeating as well. But at the same time, there is a difference between the inactive agent vaccines made by the Chinese and the mRNA vaccines that are the Moderna and the Pfizer jabs in terms of efficacy rates and the quality of the vaccines. In fact, even the Chinese have acknowledged that, that their vaccines aren't as effective as the new mRNA vaccine. So they're not all equal in that sense, right? Yeah, I'm. Not, I'm. I like I said, I didn't say they're equal. I, I'm not an expert on different type of vaccine. And like, like you said, the Chinese means like what you said, 
there are certainly different type of vaccine that have different efficacy rates, have different actually. They, I, I believe they also have different, uh, I also ha- believe they have not concluded they will have the same duration of protection. So there are a lot of difference and WHO the expert, I believe, pointed out as well. So I'm really not an expert on how to t- how to tell to tell you which one is better? Just to return to to an issue that that we raised in the intro, um, I wonder if you could explain a little bit how you see this this kind of you know the, this centrality of of China, India, and Russia um, in the 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 rollout of of the mass production of the of the vaccine. Like one one of the assumptions that I had right at the beginning of 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 the pandemic was that, well, you know, kind of by the time that we get a vaccine, then it will simply be as you know, kind of these these kind of massive kind of pharmaceutical companies in the West will then simply kind of ramp up production, mass produce it, and make a ton of money. That weirdly has doesn't seem to be happening. I mean, there is obviously a lot of a lot of production happening in the West, but why why do you why do you think Western countries aren't mass producing these vaccines more? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting observation. Uh, we are following the Chinese vaccine more, so I'm going to talk about um, talk approaches from this perspective because I'm I'm not really following how different uh, foreign how different uh, other uh, uh, vaccine developers from other countries are ramping up production. But for example, in China, they actually uh, the government has been same as um, same as the United States uh, Warp Speed project. They have been financing a lot of the pro- uh, expansion project back in I believe late 2020, even going uh, early before that. And uh, I believe was like this. Uh, I believe Sinopharm, as you uh, as you know, a state back a state owned company, has been building production uh, capacity very very early on. And one of the reasons that uh, this uh, inactive vaccine uh, that become uh, I think the government's choice is because it had been producing using this technology for so many years. It is very it is a technology known for the known to them very well. The 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 people the workers know them really well. They have the equipment and they've been doing this for so long. So that could be one. The reason they being they are able to do this so fast because they are familiar with the whole procedure. They know how to build the lab. They have been doing this. They have experienced worker and uh, just everybody knows this really well. Well, on the other hand, for example, like you point out, the mRNA technology is completely new, right? So, so in this case, I would say it's just one thing that come to my mind based on my observation. What could be the reason why some manufacturer manage to run the pub, manufacture their manufacturer uh, production capacity really uh, in a re- relatively faster fashion. Somebody would do it a little bit slower. That could be an uh, issue. But yes, uh, we do. But the one thing we do know right now is the Chinese and now they will, will be um, making billions of the doses of vaccine. As a matter of fact, I believe right now they are approaching that objective just in this year and project to make more. And they are also exporting their production techniques and equipment abroad. So yeah, th- that is something we definitely know. Let's go back to the tracking report that you publish every week and the sales and donations by manufacturers. So in terms of donations, and this is what we see a lot in, in the media, are the donations by Sinopharm. And Sinopharm gets a disproportionate amount of coverage because, again, it, it, it's being donated. So People really like that, and Twitter follows it and whatnot. 82% of all donations of Chinese vaccines are made by Sinopharm. About 16% are done by Sinovac. Move over to the sales side. And again, that's where the bulk of Chinese vaccine distributions are, is on the sales side, and the numbers are reversed. 68% are Sinovac, 
24% are Sinopharm, and about 8% are Can Sino. And now we have a new vaccine coming up from Anhui Zhifei Longcom. Uh, they have a funny name, Zifi Fax, I think is what it is. It's a new vaccine that's coming out, and there are testing new mRNA vaccines as well. Help us understand why is it that Sinopharm is being relegated to donations and Sinovac is being sold. Do you know why that is and how that's breaking down that way? I think that's a, like like you point out that was our observation and we, we've been uh, offering some explanation for why this happened. So as as you can see, we actually in our, our tracker report we point out a very interesting thing that you will see that actually the biggest recipients of those vaccines, both Sinopharm and Sinovac, are the countries who hosted their clinical trial. So actually, I think this is a very interesting thing that we need to point out. For example, the biggest buy of the Sinovac vaccine, Chile, uh, Brazil, and Turkey, they all hosted the Sinovac trial, I believe, Indonesia as well. And a lot of time in this kind of clinical trial agreement, I believe all vaccine developers will do something similar. They give the host country option to purchase a vaccine, which obviously this kind of deal agreement will come very early because it comes with a clinical trial. And as you can see, uh, the Sinovac, like I mentioned, hosts the their trial in those countries where Sinopharm hosted uh, the truth to do their clinical trial, excuse me, the clinical trial in countries like UAE, uh, UAE and the other country you mentioned. Well, those countries are actually relatively smaller country, even though they were also hit by the COVID pandemic really hard. But they, at the end of the day, they don't need that many COVID-19 vaccines. So when it comes to purchasing pattern, I think that explains part of it. And when it comes to donation, I think uh, that's also a very interesting thing to point out. The Chinese uh, authority made it very clear they, they uh, will encourage and they encourage and the person will donate vaccine only if the uh, recipient country have granted emerging use listing or full uh, use listing to the vaccine and have approved the vaccine and willing to receive it. So uh, like you said, Sinopharm is the one so far with the blessing of the WHO. And actually in the case you mentioned, the Trinidad case, uh, the Chinese made the donation of uh, Sinopharm vaccine very, very early. And the Trinidad government made it very clear they will only accept the donation after WHO approved it. So I would say that WHO uh, the, the fact that Sinopharm uh, uh, is the first Chinese vaccine that got uh, approval from WHO might explain why there's so many countries are keen on taking this, this do, donation of Sinopharm, not the Sinovac vaccine. You know, one of the issues that that has received a lot of a lot of uh, controversy and a lot of discussion over the last while has been the the issue of the relaxation of intellectual property rights on on the vaccines. And my own country, um, South Africa, has has, a, has led, I think, a relatively successful kind of charge at the World Trade Organization, um, kind of gathering some support from the Biden administration that that they'll actually be okay with or they won't contest the relaxation, the kind of emergency relaxation of of this intellectual property. I was wondering how the IP issue was received in China, whether there's pressure on Chinese companies to also relax their IP, um, and whether whether it's part of the of the vaccine conversation in China at all. Actually, it is very much a part of the Chinese vaccine uh, conversation on Chinese vaccine. And I think the Chinese government has taken this uh, very clear position on this issue. I think most recently on the Global Health Summit hosted by the G20 in Italy, uh, President Xi uh, said, you know, 
already having the foreign ministry announce the support for waiving intellectual property rights on COVID-19 vaccine. He further added China will also support the WTO and other international institutions in making an early decision on this matter. Furthermore, and he repeated the Chinese position that China supports its vaccine developers in transferring technology to other developing countries and carrying on joint production with them. And like uh, Eric recounted before, there are actually quite a few countries that have already been doing this. Uh, for example, in the case of Egypt, they are uh, going to produce uh, the Chinese uh, vaccine. I'm trying to to sync up the number, but it's in the uh, numbers of, some, um, uh, I believe, 40 millions per year. Yeah, they're going to start with 20 million. It'll ramp up to 40. Ultimately, they want to get up to 80 million per year in Egypt. Yeah, so that's the number. So they actually received the first batch of a component to make locally the Sinovac vaccine, in, uh, just, I believe, on May 21st. And then the local media already reported that the Chinese, the, the developers, have transferred the technology to, in preparation for actually uh, to enable the local production facility to even make the uh, ingredient of the, for, the, for the Sinovac vaccine in the future. And we're seeing that Pakistan is actually have a similar arrangement, but to produce uh, the CanSino vaccine by technology transfer. So the Chinese, China's position on this issue, both on the government and the vaccine developers level, are very clear that they support this waiver uh, of intellectual property right and they are already implementing it. In the pa- case of Pakistan, they actually have teams uh, working with a local stakeholder to set up the production f- uh, facility a while ago and the, the, tri- and the Pakistani authority uh, stated that you know the fact they uh, hosted the clinical trial of the casino really early on really allowed them to start building this local production capacity very, uh, very early on. So yeah. I don't know if that's answered your question. We just want to make one point very clear here is that the localized production deals that are going on right now in all the countries that I listed in the beginning, especially in places like Egypt, are what's called fill and finish deals. And they are not the releasing of the IP. And so in many ways, it's like the the same way that Coca-Cola bottles all over the world. The ingredients are sent, the formulas are sent, and then they're filled into the containers and they're finished in the packaging and they're shipped out. One of the reasons that they do that is in order to ensure that quality stays high. Now, this has been the line from the U.S. and European pharmaceutical industry in their opposition to the relaxation of IP is that these vaccines are not easy to produce and therefore they can't assure the quality if the IP is opened up and everybody can make it. That's the pharmaceutical line. That being said, a number of countries like India and even here in Vietnam have very sophisticated pharmaceutical production uh, workflows and uh, industries that they could probably develop those vaccines using it. The other part of this, and this is very pertinent to the conversation, is that in the United States, they don't want the IP to fall into Chinese hands, especially on those mRNA vaccines, those really state-of-the-art vaccines. So geopolitics also plays into it. But very important in terms of the localization of production as we see it right now, it's what's called fill and finish. Speaking of diplomacy, one of the other areas in the tracker that you guys follow is the donations to international organizations. So Kobus brought up the question of COVAX. Chinese have kept their distance from COVAX. They committed a donation of 10 million doses. Have they delivered those doses yet? Do you know if the COVAX donations have been actually executed into COVAX yet? So far, based on the, all this thing has been announced, China has not delivered the doses it promised. 
But you know, COVAX has made it very clear they will only procure a vaccine that has received WHO's approval, which until uh, very recently there's none, and until Sinopharm receives the first EUL listing. And we already see the same statement from uh, Gavi, who is one of uh, the co uh, organizer of the COVAX facility, that's saying it is in, in negotiation with Sinopharm uh, from, to, produce, to procure the vaccine. But as you mentioned before, there's a lot of factors to consider. There's a price factor. There's how many vaccines you can deliver and what time, and uh, so I, I don't I don't think this will I don't think that we will see. Uh, I mean, maybe there's some news coming out later, but we have not seen any actual Chinese vaccine being delivered uh, to Covax into another country. So the Chinese have also given uh, vaccines to the United Nations, particularly United Nations peacekeepers. Uh, Three hundred thousand donations donations have been committed there. The Arab League in Cairo has received donations. And then, most interesting, uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but Conmebol, which is the uh, South American football or soccer league, uh, they've received donations. And none other than Lionel Messi and Neymar have received uh, inoculations using Chinese vaccines. Boy, that is about as good publicity as you're possibly going to get. And then the United Nations uh, Relief Works Association is also receiving donations from the Chinese. Talk to us a little bit about the those donations. A lot of people will see that as politics. The Chinese say, no, it's just we're giving donations to charitable organizations, to nonprofits and to whatnot. Help us better understand what's the motivation as you see it in Beijing for these donations to international organizations like South African football as and also things like the Arab League. Yeah, uh, that's a very good uh, question. So first thing I would like to point out, uh, maybe I think in the notes section of our tracker we expanded, uh, the vaccine donation that made to the South American Football Association is actually not made by the Chinese authorities, made by Sinovac. And now the Chinese Sinovac is as a partner of the South American uh, Football Association at the coming Copa America, and as a as a football fan myself, you know that's a great news that everybody and uh, the, the can and that football. Messi got his Sinovac vaccine. <laughs> I mean that's pretty yes. cool, you know. Yes, and as you as and uh, I think as a from a from a corporate perspective. I think I don't think I think everybody in the world will understand how big a football is a sport, especially in South America. We're talking about football, so it's a huge matter in the entire uh, entire continent. And as you mentioned before, uh, that part of the world has received a lot of Sinovac vaccine, and it makes sense for them to make a donation like this to uh, to promote their vaccine, to promote their brand, to you know outreach to the community, to do all these things. So it makes sense. Well, the 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 the, the, the donation to UNRWA is made by the Chinese government very, very recently, specifically following the recent uh, Israel and uh, Gaza conflict. This, is, uh, this along a uh, donation fund is donation to the UNRWA, to specifically to the Palestinians and the humanitarian effort. While to the Arab Union, uh, that uh, vaccine was hand o- has already been handed over, along with other donation to Egypt. So there, and the International Olympics, uh, the International Olympic Committee, Committee, we have not seen that exactly a, like a large lump sum transfer has happened. Probably happens uh, more in terms of like some uh, the different country, different athlete receiving their vaccine. But as you, uh, I'm sure both of you have aware, the upcoming uh, Tokyo Olympic, there has been a lot of uncertainty. So how exactly that uh, donation will unfold is not really clear. Well, the, so we cannot really comment on, like, we, we're not really understanding like, what exactly is the motivation behind each 
uh, each donation, but you can see the, they're, they are ranging from like a company donating the vaccine because they have sell and uh, sell to this region extensively. There have been humanitarian effort to conflict regions. There has been donation to uh, the peacekeeper. There's been donation for upcoming major international event. I think there's a lot of reasons or a lot of motivation. It's hard to pin down it's a specific one. You know, of, of the, the kind of rich countries in the world, including China, um, it's it's been very interesting to see the, the, the different the different kind of political calculus around vaccinations, you know, and in Western countries, it was very, it was very clear that it's politically necessary for them to, to make a a big kind of national effort, you know, kind of particularly in the United States, to 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 to, to try and kind of like be able to to inoculate a, a very large percentage of the population before they can even start discussing exporting to other countries. Um, and in, it seems that China has taken a somewhat different approach. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about about the the domestic rollout in China versus the international rollout, and and whether there's political pressure to 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 ramp up the domestic rollout. Yeah, I, that's a very interesting. Uh, that's a very interesting and good question uh, because the Chinese uh, uh, does have a very different experience compared to the country you mentioned uh, when it come to vaccine rollout. Uh, like uh, like a lot of people know, the Chinese managed to, to contain and contain and control the COVID nineteen pandemic relatively well very early on. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's a lot of uh, both domestic and international media and experts talking about there's been certain vaccine hesitancies in China because there's a lot of members of the public uh, do not see the need to get vaccinated because they do not see COVID cases anywhere. If I'm living in a city, have not reported single cases for months and months, what exactly is the motivation for me to get a vaccine? So for a long time, as we actually wrote an article on this, there has been a lot of uh, key opinion leader, government official, even celebrities to the conversation to encourage people to take the vaccines, to build uh, this kind of public health protection, the herd immunity that they will last. And, you know, but it was very difficult. It was, it was a bit of a slow rollout at the beginning, but they managed to get it started both with the communication campaigns push, but also as a lot of uh, people would know, there has been a small flare up of COVID uh, outbreak in some part of China, including Beijing and most recently in Guangzhou. And that really gives uh, the people the motivation, you know, the public health uh, expert had expanded a lot of many, many times. Uh, you, are not, you are not safe until China as well as, as well as every part of the world has reached security immunity. It doesn't make sense for your uh, it doesn't make sense that if you or your own community feel safe, but the other part of the world, the vaccine, other part of the China or part of the world, the virus still raging on, then somehow the vaccine, somehow the virus was still uh, managed to break it through your. Uh, disease control measures. So that has been the consistent messaging from the, from the Chinese authority to encourage people to take the vaccine. So we have not seen really strong pushback against like why, uh, why uh, the, 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 the Chinese sending the vaccines to overseas. And um, the, the discussion on this is very much about the Chinese has managed both seems to be managed both hacks seems really well. There has not been a direct, uh, there has not been a direct uh, conversation on what you just said in China. So. And that also might be because the Chinese media is highly regulated, and so a lot of the donations may be underplayed while the domestic narrative is more prominently played. Um, let's also, let's just wrap up our conversation here about where we are going forward through the rest of the year. COVAX, as we mentioned earlier, is not delivering 
for lots of different reasons. They're loaded with cash, but they just can't make donations. They can't get the vaccines out and and to sell to to lower and middle income countries. The Europeans have been donating. So very important that we break apart the European Union from the United States here. The European Union has actually been very good, though they don't get the credit for distribution of more than 200 million vaccines to low and middle income countries. The United States still has not gotten off the ground. I just want to really mention a letter here that came earlier this month from U.S. Senator Mitt Romney to Secretary Antony Blinken, and he wrote, I write with concern regarding the administration's lack of urgency to distribute COVID vaccines to countries in desperate need. While Russia and China have taken action on this matter, the United States appears to still be in the process of deciding what it is going to do. It is necessary that the United States implement a strategy which ensures that the world's most vulnerable populations have access to the vaccines as soon as possible. So you can see growing levels of impatience in the United States that they haven't gotten going. So right now, as we look at 2021, it is the Chinese and the Russians that are going to supply the bulk of vaccines in the developing world, at least for the foreseeable future. You in Beijing, as you're putting together the tracking report, what are the trends that you're seeing in terms of localization of manufacturing, the ramping up of production in China to be able to supply the global south? How quickly do you see this taking off? Here, I think, uh, uh, here, here, based on uh, our observation and research, we, we think that we are really seeing uh, there's a growing trend, the Chinese vaccine developer, along with the Chinese government, are looking more and more to how to distribute and uh, to send, distribute and the vaccine to other countries and also help them set up uh, production. It has been uh, it has been the main theme, of the talking main theme of a lot of speeches given by the Chinese leader, and there has been a lot of action carrying out. I think, like you mentioned, in the next in the next. In the next coming, um, uh, in the next few months, in the coming months and week, uh, coming months, we are going to see uh, the shortage. We are going to see a continuing shortage of uh, COVID nineteen vaccine around the world, and there we are. I think first of all, we're going to need more countries, including China, to send more of their vaccine to the. Uh, the poor, uh, the poor population, the less developed country, to help them boost their immunization effort. There's a lot of countries that are already starting to running out of vaccines, so it's very important. And uh, in the meantime, we also need to think about how to help them set up their own manufacturing capacity, because ultimately, it's probably the cheapest way for them to get the vaccines. We can, we can have a lot of innovative financial uh, financial instruments and a lot of uh, agreement on maybe grant or even loans, but helping them to production their own uh, vaccines using either uh, some ingredients that send from the produ- uh, the vaccine producing countries or uh, wholly uh, a pro- uh, completely manufacturing the vaccine locally. All of, the- all of these measures will some, some will lower the cost of vaccine. And I would say it's more important to know that these uh, localizations and the ability to produce vaccines locally is very important for the developing country, the developing world, to prepare for the next vaccine, uh, the next pandemic. The COVID-19 for sure is not going to be the last global public health crisis or the last pandemic the, uh, the humanity will encounter. And I think this 
definitely highlight a lack of a preparedness on every level by all stakeholders of how to handle and respond to a public health crisis like this. So I think this is a great moment to call for the global uh, community to work together, both private and public sectors, to find ways to help the developing country better prepared for the next pandemic, while at the same time sending them help to address the current pandemic. So... Well, I admire your optimism. I think what we've seen to date is an absolute failure on that part among all sides, that nobody is coming to the help of developing countries. Yes, it would be great if everybody could work together, but we don't see any proof that the United States and China and Russia and Europe are actually working together in the name of helping developing countries. So I do respect what you're saying and the and the ambition that's there and what the ideal should be, but the reality is is that I'm in a country now with no vaccines. Kenya's running out of its vaccines. Africa's received less than 2% of the world's vaccines, and nobody seems to give a poop. So that's where we are. Zhou Zixiang is a policy and advocacy associate at Bridge Consulting in Beijing. He helps put together the vaccine tracking report that is absolutely indispensable if you are following what China is doing in terms of its global vaccine distributions. Zixiang, tell the good people where they can find your tracking report. Yes, thank you, uh, Eric and Kovitz, for inviting me. And uh, you can find out more about our vaccine tracker at bridgebeijing.com. And uh, yeah, thank you for, uh, for inviting me. And you guys are also on Twitter as well, where you post updates and articles related to Chinese vaccines. What's your Twitter handle? Yeah, our Twitter handle is bridgebeijing at bridgebeijing. So you can also follow us and get the latest update on global health as well as other global development topics related to China. And we'll put links to the tracking report as well as to the Bridge Beijing Twitter account in the show notes. Zixiang, once again, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you very much for having me. Kobus, we can't talk about Chinese vaccines without bringing into the issue of the geopolitics between the United States and China today. Last week, United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken, he spoke with the folks at Nikkei Asia. And here's what he had to say about Chinese vaccines. Various countries, including China, have been engaged in so-called vaccine diplomacy. We shouldn't tie the distribution or access to vaccines to politics or to geopolitics. This really pissed off a lot of people on Twitter because here is the United States criticizing the Chinese for their distribution of vaccines to developing countries. Are they playing politics with their vaccine distributions? Absolutely. There's no doubt they're playing politics, but that's the nature of what it is. But at the same time, what upset so many people was the fact that the United States, as we heard from Mitt Romney, is simply not in the game. So until you start delivering vaccines yourself... You cannot have the moral credibility to be criticizing others for whatever reason. And it's beyond me how the United States is now vaccinating 12-year-old children, children as young as 12-year-olds. And this was an issue brought up here in Vietnam, that how is it possible that 12-year-old kids are getting vaccines who are not even vectors of this pandemic and frontline workers in Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, Vietnam, and elsewhere are not? that the Americans don't realize that dropping off a C-130 cargo plane at Tansonyat Airport in Ho Chi Minh City here would create a PR bonanza for them is just mind-blowing to me. And so until the U.S. actually is putting vaccines on the grounds and getting American vaccines into arms, they really need to shut the F up. (laughs) 
yeah, I mean, you know, from 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 the outside, it really came off as if the U.S. doesn't care. <laughs> you know, if 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 it's other countries so get vaccinated deaf, or not, it's incredible. It is so tone deaf. Mm. It is mind numbing. Yeah, you know, kind of it, it. It came off very much like you know, as if you know that that the biggest problem they can see is China getting political credit out of this rather than you know rather than actual people getting vaccines into their arms you know uh so so yeah it came off a little a little unbalanced um the i, w- I wanted to ask you like like last like last week you know in, in in our newsletter intro i made the point that it's it's a very interesting moment for the lab leak theory to come to come out the idea that to that covid's origin is um you know came from from an, an, an accidental kind of a leak of 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 research material from a Chinese lab rather than from the wet market, uh, wet market, you know, kind of viral jump um, as has been been kind of theorized before. Um, And we don't, you know, while we're not really seeing much more evidence at the the moment coming up around this lab lab leak theory, it it, it suddenly has taken on kind of political currency and like everyone is now quoting a lab leak theory. So So for me, it was this interesting moment where it's, it becomes very clear, like which which countries in the world are rich enough and empowered enough and feel themselves okay enough in terms of in terms of vaccinations to be able to pick a fight with China, and which are not. Um, you know, which which is the most of the rest of the world. Um, so I was wondering what you made of this this kind of sudden resurgence of the lab leak theory. So the lab leak theory was an, it was an idea that I dismissed last year, or the year before, simply because if you've lived in China long enough. You've been to the wet markets, and you can see that the wet markets are absolutely a giant petri dish of just horrific possibilities to, for viruses to jump from animals to people. And at the same time, in the 2003-2004 SARS crisis, the Chinese made a commitment to clean up their wet markets and to crack down on this, and they failed to do that. The sanitation and hygiene was simply not there, and that is the, that is the problem is the lack of sanitation hygiene. And that is, there's no defense that the Chinese can come back and say, no, 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 after 2003 SARS, we really did clean up our act because they didn't. In terms of the proof of whether or not this jumped out of the the lab or whether it came from a wet market, I've seen compelling evidence on both sides. I certainly don't have enough information to make any assessment of this. I think it's unfortunate though that US domestic politics is driving this at this moment when in fact I think the United States should be following the lead of Mitt Romney right now and rebuilding its global leadership in terms of getting vaccines into the developing world. Right now we're seeing a battle unfold in Central America, specifically in places like Honduras, which are threatening to abandon Taiwan because they say we need the vaccines from China. And that's where the United States needs to be playing much more aggressively here in Vietnam as well. The new prime minister is much more partial to China than the previous administrations have been. Right now, there is no Chinese vaccines coming in, but principles are subject to circumstance. If the situation here in Vietnam deteriorates to the point where the only choice for vaccines will be those from China, one has to wonder if the prime minister will hold that line. This is where the United States, if they are truly battling the Chinese for global influence. This is where the United States can have a very big impact. The problem is right now is that the conversation within the Beltway is now focused on the lab leak theory. And again, that that's an interesting 
conversation to have. I like the idea of finding the origin story. The problem is within 90 days, which is what Biden said he wants to report back, I don't think you're going to learn that much more than what we already know. The problem also is that China has been put on the defensive and it is not going to open itself up to the Americans to come in and do the kind of research that is needed for maybe 12 to 18 months to really kind of dig into this. There's no way they're going to do that. So here we are, I have a situation now where the politics between the United States and China are getting in, way, getting in the way of actually helping people in the global south, which is where I think the U.S. should be focusing its attention. And I think the, the kind of maybe unintended consequence of all of this is that, that it will end up just entrenching China as, as the only partner for the global south. Um, you know, because, because and, and what it will then have the effect of is, is, is to, to force all of these global south countries to then also kind of, you know, de- de- you know, kind of take a side rhetorically or like declare some kind of allegiance to China in order to, to make sure that the vaccines keep flowing you know so so i think it, it's one of those situ- it seems to, to me and again this is this is someone very far away from the beltway you know so so but but it seems a little bit like one of those american situations where the domestic discourse counts for so much more than the than than the us's international image you know in in, in this particular case and and then what it then has the kind of unintended effect is to actually entrench china you know kind of as 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 the central partner to to the rest of the world because they can't count on on a kind of a constancy from from the us in you know in in prioritizing the kind of international global good well, let's take the situation in Kenya as an excellent example here, because a lot of people received the first dose of the AstraZeneca in- injection that was provided through the COVAX alliance. The problem is the second doses haven't made it. So now Kenya is researching whether or not you can mix vaccines from, say, a Sinopharm or CanSino, Sinovac, any of the others with an AstraZeneca. That seems risky to me without the proper research and all of the trials that need to happen. But again, there is no choice right now. People are stuck. And the Chinese are coming in and filling a void that is simply not prioritized in other parts of the world. To be fair, the Europeans, and I think it's really important to distinguish between what the Europeans are doing and what the Americans are doing. The Americans in many ways are outliers here in terms of their stinginess on vaccines. And again, it's just not a priority. The Europeans, they have given more than 200 million doses to low and middle income countries. That needs to be said over and over and over again. They deserve the credit for that. Oftentimes, the Chinese get all of the attention for what they're doing. Also, really important to remember, and this really jumped out at me when looking at the tracking report, 10% of the Chinese distributions of vaccines are donations. 10%. It's not very much, Kobus. I mean, really, is not very much. Yeah, yeah. The, the Chinese are selling a lot more than they're giving. And it's interesting where those vaccines are going. We oftentimes focus on Africa, but Africa is the least important region. So I think that the Chinese vaccines are being distributed according to their geopolitical priority. Are they playing politics with vaccine distributions? Absolutely. There's no way. No one with a straight face can get away with saying they're not playing politics with vaccines. But you know what? That's what countries do. So, okay, here we are. Asia, as we've talked about over and over again, is the primary battleground. Not surprising that Southeast Asia is the primary recipient of Chinese vaccines anywhere in the world. Latin America is very interesting. The United States is right in its back door, is not engaging in Latin America to provide those vaccines to rival what the Chinese are doing. So surprising that they're really ceding this ground to the Chinese in places like Mexico, right on the border. The United States has traditionally felt that the Western Hemisphere was their sphere of influence. I am blown away that they have not done more 
to rebuff the Chinese there. And then when countries like Honduras openly threaten the United States with abandoning Taiwan, you know you're in a new kind of space. And it's just remarkable to me. And then the Middle East is also an area where the Chinese are throwing a lot of vaccine attention to. Africa geopolitically, not so many. And it's just because I think it reflects the fact that Africa is just not as important to the Chinese as those other regions are, geopolitically speaking. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's really dismaying situation. Um, you know, it's, I, my, yeah, I, you know, it, it'll be fascinating to hear the kind of calculus that's, that's happening in terms of in terms of these choices you know my, my you know in, in my kind of like simple imagining you know my, my is is that uh, is that i can imagine that that's that a lot of chinese actors would would tend to think that a that 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 Africa is used to waiting for every single thing in the world. You know, kind of, it's always at the end of the of the queue. But also that their their um, political connections with Africa are already solid. You know, kind of that that they can kind of count on Africa to even if they are made to wait, that they will end up waiting for for Chinese when for Chinese contributions when the Chinese kind of get around to it because Africa has no other options. Which you know, again, sadly, the like the United States has proven to be correct. Yeah, there you are. So this is a topic literally every single day we cover on our website. If you would like to follow what the Chinese are doing, we break down the numbers from places like Bridge Consulting. We also go to sources in the United States, in Europe, and elsewhere to provide a more holistic picture. The China Africa Project website is really the best place to get all of the day's news about what the Chinese are doing in Africa, the Middle East, and increasingly in places like Latin America and the Global South. Uh, subscriptions start at just $7 a month for students and teachers, $15 a month for everyone else. You also get a daily email newsletter that we drop off in your inbox at 6 a.m. Washington time that has a summary of all the stories that we cover, and then all of the archives that we have on the site going back years now, thousands of stories. So if you're a researcher, you can look everything up by country, topic, and keyword, and it's a great resource to do that. Go to ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe and use the promo code podcast and we'll take 20% off the price for you just because you are a valued podcast listener. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Kobus and I will be back again next week with another show. Until then, for Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. Or follow the guys on Twitter, Eric's at Iolanda, and you can find Kobas at Stadenesk. For more information about the China Africa Project and to sign up for our free weekly email news brief, go to chinaafricaproject.com. <laughs> <laughs>